came, as a lot of our personal homes did, but the church really got hit hard and and still dealing with a lot of things. And uh, so just be patient with us, and we are, we're working on it. I've been uh, meeting with contractors this past week, so we, we hope we're getting close. Uh, we, we actually had to hire an attorney uh, to get their attention. And uh, isn't that sad? Uh, you have insurance for things like this, and then you have to argue with them. And uh, we got a new sign ordered out front. Uh, and uh, that's a thirty thousand dollar insurance is what we had on the sign, and they want to pay us twelve hundred. They won't even come change the bulbs for twelve twelve hundred. <laughs> we had an elders meeting this week, uh, Monday night, I guess it wasn't at Irene. I was telling those guys. But anyway, uh, just obey the Lord. Help us here financially. Uh, we went ahead and ordered us a new sign. I mean, we've got to have a sign out front. I'll let folks know what we're doing, what this building is. So we've got that ordered, and we're believing God to just uh, touch their heart and help us uh, and all those things. So you, sincerely, you pray for us that, you know, I know there's a scripture that I've claimed over the years. I hope it worked. I believed it did. That the heart of those, heart of the kings, to me, the heart of those people that are in authority, the hand of the Lord can can turn and, and affect those those decisions that are made. And and so we're we're looking forward to getting all this stuff fixed and and where we don't have any more leaks uh in the in the building. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, I think flat roofs are demonic, whoever invented those. But uh we're we're dealing with it. So I just want to give you a little little update. Uh, we've been in a several-week series on things that are, and uh, that's not going to be my title today. I do kind of feel that this is a summation uh, of that to some degree, and, uh, and, and so this has just been on my heart this week. We've seen some incredible uh, things, uh, in, in, but especially over the past couple of weeks, and, and, uh, but I, I want to talk to you today, and just I'm entitling this Learning to Live in the Grace of the Present. And uh, of the present moment is what, I, what I'm talking about. And so uh, I want to, uh, just going to quote Romans 12 for you. And, uh, that, uh, and, and of course, that's the famous in beginning in verse 1 where Paul uh, says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's because you've already been made that, by the way. That's not something you ever achieve or get to. Holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service, the New King James says. A better translation of that is which is your spiritual act of worship. One translation uh, renders that verse. But verse 2 says, don't be conformed by this world. And that's the thinking of this world. Uh, uh, that word conformed there is actually a Greek word where we get our word schematics from. Uh, Y'all know what schematics are, right? Especially if like, you're a builder or electrician, you, it gives you where to put the wires, what to do. But he says, don't be conformed. I like to say it like this. Don't be conformed. Don't let the con job form you into thinking, being uh, differently than God intends you to be. Don't be conformed by this world system, but be ye transformed. And how does that come? By the renewing of your mind. And then he says, so that you may be able to prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And, and the word prove there. Uh, don't think of so much as a courtroom. You say prove to an American, they immediately, their mind, a courtroom scenario. 
but it is, it is the word that is the same word for appraise. Uh, so like an art appraiser would look at an original painting and he would appraise it or he would affirm that this is authentic, this is actually a Rembrandt or whatever it is. And so God wants us to be able to give an authentic representation of who he is and how he is and what he's made us to be. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for the day. We praise you even for the rain, Lord, that, that blesses and waters this earth. We thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your precious people. Help us today, Father, to see you and to see you as you really are. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, and and I, over, the, over the years I've done, I've been interested in this subject. Uh, I got some degree of medical background, of course, most of you know that. And a uh, paramedic for really over 20 years, uh, taught school for now, it's called Wiregrass uh, College. It, in those days, it was Moultrie Technical School. I taught on campus there in Moultrie and uh, off-campus facility in Tifton. I trained EMTs, first responders, uh, did all kind of stuff uh, in that area. And then I actually taught at the LPN school, taught the nursing uh, school there some uh, in Tifton. And uh, uh, taught anatomy and physiology uh, there uh, to them. And uh, I didn't enjoy that too much. Love nurses, but I didn't enjoy that stretch. <laughs> so I didn't do it but a couple of years. But uh, for about six, seven years, I taught, uh, taught paramedic programs and uh, enjoyed that. And, and uh, so I, I'm fascinated by a lot of things with the, with the body. And one thing is the mind. And the Bible refers a lot about the mind in, in, in Ephesians. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And it's always talking about our mind and being renewed. And then the Bible warns us about not being double-minded. So apparently we have the ability to draw from two areas or two different uh, thinkings. And of course, when Jesus came preaching and John the Baptist preceded him, uh, their message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the word repent is the Greek word metanoia. And you, most all of you that come here regularly, you know that. And it means to think differently. Now, I grew up in church thinking, and I won't spend a lot of time on that. I thought repentance means lay on the altar, cry, and apologize to God for your sin. Uh, and that's not what it means at all. It literally means that to think differently. And that's what repent means. The church really still don't know that. Uh, most of the church doesn't. But that's what it is. So you have to think differently than you've been trained to think, than you grew up to think. And we've been all trained to uh, under what most people nowadays are using the term a dualistic thinking or dualistic mind. In other words, we, we have not been trained to think spiritually. But the Bible that we read is a spiritual book. The, the words that Jesus said, they said they are spirit and they are life. Uh, you're not going to understand the Bible. It's obvious to anybody with any cursory view of the Bible that you, there's no parable that Jesus ever gave that is limited to one interpretation of what that means. And, uh, and, and so, um, uh, but the human mind, we're warned about it. The natural mind, it says the natural mind, Paul said, receives not the things that be of God, neither can the natural mind. The natural man, in another translation, can't receive. And that's what he's talking about. That natural, educated, it doesn't mean carnal like full of evil thoughts. It just means the natural human 
uh, non-spiritual thinking mind. Now, most of us in the Western world, in the American, in the Western world, when I say West, I'm talking about Middle East, West. But so in the Western world, none of us were trained to think in, in spiritual or mystic. Uh, we, we, we've not been trained in that. You have to be trained to think that way. But that's the way Jesus uh, taught the Scripture. That's the way uh, where we re- uh, derive the Scripture from. That's how that they approach the Scriptures. And, and, and it's, it's just a totally different way. We come from a, a Greek culture-based uh, mindset. And, but the natural mind, uh, it, it can only do, and, and, and I'm not coming up with this on my own, but there's been a lot of study uh, done on this, but the natural mind can only really do two major things. Uh, number one, it, can, it, it will endlessly process the past, or it will endlessly worry about the future, but the natural mind cannot be present in the now. Did, did you hear that? So we spend our time thinking about dwelling on flashes of the past. What we wish we could have, would have done, you know, all that deal. Or we, we, we spend our time worrying about tomorrow. And we have all these projections. When I get to this, or, you know, you know when I go on vacation, that's going to be fun. Or, or when I get my college degree, or when I get married, or when I make an X amount of dollars, or then, then I'll be happy. I, I remember preaching with a, with a medical doctor. He's still actually still in practice in, in, um, in Osceola, Georgia. But I, I, I spoke with him at Gordon Avenue Baptist Church. Can you imagine that? Me speaking at a Baptist church. But um, I did that several times. And, but I, I was, he was one of the, he was the person that before I preached, was, that the pastor had asked to come give um, his testimony. And I remember listening to him that night, and he said, you know, he said, I've spent my whole life, you know, when I was in college, I said, once I graduate, then, he said, then I'll be happy. And, and he graduated college, and he said he still wasn't happy. And then he said, once I, you know, get through med school, uh, you know, get that behind me, then I'll be happy. And he said, did that, and he wasn't happy. He said, once I get through my internship, and I actually become an official, can do my own practice physician, uh, then I'll be happy. He said he did that. He still wasn't happy. He said, once I get married, have a wife and a family, then I'll be happy. He said he got that. He still wasn't happy. Then he said, once I get a certain truck that I've always wanted and a certain special hunting dog and, and the land that I want, then I'll be happy. He said he got all that. He still wasn't happy. And he said one day God just put, you know, that he just showed, you know, you're, you're just, you just keep projecting and, and, you, and you're not happy. I didn't understand it then, what I'm trying to convey to you now. But that's the, that's, that's the sickness that we all have, is we don't learn to live in the now, in the present. And, and the, but why? Well, why is that? Because the now doesn't feel comfortable to us. It doesn't feel like it's enough. In, in the now, we worry about there's not going to be enough for tomorrow. We, we worry about that kind of stuff. We spend a lot of time worrying about future bills that ain't even got here yet. What are we going to do if the groceries keep going up? What are we going to do if the gas goes up? What are we going to do, you know, I mean, there's got to, and me and Jill was talking about this week, you know, we're repricing our, our house insurance because here they come with a new bill, and man, it was high. I said, what are they doing, putting all the payment of the hurricane on me? I mean, what did they do? I mean, why they jacked it up so much? And, of course, we called our, 
our broker, and, and she said they've gone up on everybody. So we, we started pricing it around him, and, 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 she, and we were talking, husband and wife, and, you know, and, and, and we're human just like you. And we get called in all that. And we, we were like, well, you know, everything just keeps going up. What are they going to do? Because the salaries ain't going up, but everything else is going up. And we, you know, and, and if you're, the human part of you, it's very easy, isn't it, to worry about that. You know, like we were talking, where's the ceiling? And, and Jill made a statement that we've had, uh, said before, and I've said, you know, it costs too much to live in this world. You know, and, and sometimes you wonder, how, and that's what she was saying. Because I see so many people on my job with, with United Healthcare. They, so many, a lot of these people living off of trying to, off of $700, $1,000 a month in their little checks trying to make it. And if you saw where they lived, you would know. And it breaks my heart. I wish I was a gazillionaire. I, I know I could I'd spend time in North Florida and South Georgia just handing out checks and helping people. And, and people are struggling. But, and it's very easy to get, get caught, caught up in that. But, but but the Bible talks about, Paul made a weird statement, 2 Corinthians 4.18. He said, you know, that we need to look at things which are, which are not seen. Well, in order to look at things that are not seen, what he's talking about is uh, spiritual realities. Uh, you know, and we used to say it this way in the church. You know, everything that you can see was made from what you can't see. That makes what you can't see more real than what you can see. And, and that's hard for the human brain to grasp that. But... but uh, the, the, the now to us is scary because it feels uh, boring, it feels lonely, uh, it feels insufficient. And, uh, and, and we know that our mind needs some help because the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 and 8, he, he said, brethren, uh, think on these things. And he said, if there's anything that's true or just or, or lovely or good report or virtuous, he said, and he didn't just say think on it, but he said med the word he used was meditate. On these things. That shows us that normally we think about the wrong things. And Paul is admonishing us that it's going to take some effort and some focus to not think like we've been trained to think in a dualistic thinking. We think, we, we, we all grew up to think, okay, it's either right or wrong. Uh, and if I'm right, that makes you wrong. It's got to be black or white. I want to know if you're Republican or Democrat. Are you conservative? Are you liberal? Or, you, know, uh, you know, I want to get a label on you as quick as I can. When I first started the ministry, you know, we, I started a church called Cornerstone Christian Church, and it just, it just aggravated. Every, that's the number one question I got in the first few years. Well, what are you? It used to get me so aggravated. What are you? And in those days, I said, I'm a Christian. Because I thought that was the word. Now I don't, I don't even know if I want to admit to that. And I hope you understand that. And I know that you get offended by that. It's easy to. But anyway, I don't want to go off on that. But, but, uh, but if I did go, like when I went to Bulgaria, I was warned, you know, ahead of time, don't go in there and try to make Christians. You're liable to have a knife put to your throat by the Muslims. Because Christians and Muslims have been killing each other for centuries. But y'all looking at me like y'all ain't never heard of that. There's nowhere in the Bible, by the way, that it says make Christians. Nobody ever has a prayer, do you want to be a Christian, by your head in the Bible. No, and there's no command anywhere in the Bible to call each other Christians. That's just something for you to think about and study it out, but that's the truth. But, but they did tell me, said, when you go to Bulgaria and you're preaching in there, don't ask them do they want to be a Christian, or don't say how many of you want to be a Christian. That stuff don't work here. <laughs> 
But you can't say, how many wants to know God? How many will not know about Jesus? And then the Muslims will stick their hand up. And they don't have that, that, that battle with that word because of what that word has, you know, what, what it meant to them. James uh, 1 and 8 warns us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And, uh, and so we, we, we don't like, you know, it's, the, the now is scary. And, and so why is, it, why, why is it that your brain, natural brain, resists living in and enjoying the now? We're always, if we're in the now, we're thinking about what we're going to do that's going to make tomorrow better. Or if we're in the now, we're worried about what we didn't do or did do in the past or what somebody did to us in the past. And it robs us of the, of the present. Uh, the, the reason is, one of the reasons I believe is the natural mind wants to be in control. And if you're living in the now, then you're not in control. You only can be in control if you can look back or look forward. That's why Jesus was always, I think, another symbolic to me is the crucifixion. We, we've, got, we've got two thieves, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. I believe they were, symbolically we could apply it this way. We have one thief that he can't get his head out the past, and we've got another thief that can't get his head out the future. But nobody's willing to live in the present, right? The, one thief can't accept Jesus because of what he's done in the past. And the other thief says, Remember me when? He's, he's looking for the future. And Jesus has to hone it all in and say, this day, in the present, you're going to be with me in paradise. And we don't live in that because we, we want to, we, you know, it's like I said with cancer. Cancer by itself can't kill you, but cancer plus time, that, that can be nasty. And so, so we're not happy in the now because now removes time. I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting your head this morning. Right, think about it like this. Let's just pretend for a moment that the earth has no humans on it. Just animals and plants. And if you could just pretend with me, you okay? And so imagine in the woods, in, in the, you know, no humans. And, and if you could say to the eagle, uh, what day is it and what time is it? Now the eagle might be amused by your question. But the eagle, if he could talk to you, is going to say, what day is it? What time is it? He said, of course, it's now. Only humans worry about time. Eagles don't worry. Eagle don't get up and go with his feathers, you know, because he ain't got no watch on anyway. Oh, it's, it's 9 o'clock. I overslept. I got to get, get going here. Be like asking an oak tree, what time is it? It's now. Faith is, what does the Bible say faith is? Faith is now. Now faith is the substance of things. Y'all better listen to Brother Hagin where y'all understand what, that was one of his favorite sayings. Now faith, that's what the scripture says. Now faith is the substance of things. But he would say it like this, now. Faith is. Faith ain't tomorrow. Faith ain't yesterday. Faith is in the now. But we don't like to live in the now. That's why we don't see a lot of faith. We're worried about tomorrow. 
Is there going to be enough food? Is there going to be enough money? When I retire, am I going to be able to make it in this world? And we just spend so much energy and effort. And, and listen, most of the pain that is inflicted in our lives is pain that we create. It really is. Now, sometimes that pain comes from decisions that we make that are not wise decisions. Anybody besides me ever made some stupid decisions? Some poor financial choices? Anybody besides me? Spoke when we should not have spoken. <laughs> And it, and, it, and it caused pain in our lives. And it was self-inflicted. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible in, in Mark chapter 1, it talks about, and it, after Jesus' baptism service, it, it says something that's always been interesting to me in verse 12. It says, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Now, I always wonder, why did the Spirit have to drive him into the wilderness? To me, that's like driving cattle. From one field to another. Well, the Spirit had to uh, uh, drove him into the wildness, wilderness. And he wasn't going to be there for a little short visit. It's going to be a 40 days and 40 nights. I think it is because the, 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 the uh, human nature does not want to go to the wilderness and, and, and to the wildness. And, and I think for one major reason, now listen to me, because of the silence that's there. We're scared of silence. Some of us can't go into a house unless we turn on the TV. And we're not going to watch it. We just want the noise of it. Because we can't take the silence. Or music. Or some, we want some, some racket. At night, I can't go to sleep unless I have fan noise. And I used to have to have a fan. Because I was raised that way. One of the best sleep I got is when I'd stay at my granddad's and he had that fan running in that window. Ooh, man, be boom, just knock you out. And I got used to that. Be cold wintertime. Got the fan turned the opposite away from us, but I can just hear the motor running. And so now I got a bedroom that's adjacent to the bathroom. I turn on the bathroom fan. And that's, that helps me go to sleep. And now I got an iPhone that I can lay there and I can pick any noise I want to on that phone. Now that is so cool. And I just I and so I just pull up and I go, well, it's about time to go to the bed here. And and uh so I need to get to my white noise. And here we go. And that also helps me in case somebody I sleep with starts to snore. <laughs> I apologize, darling. Please let me go home with you today. No, she don't snore. It's so dainty and feminine. It's just like, something like that. I don't know what it is. <laughs> It'll still keep you awake, though, I'll tell you that. You know, when we were younger, you didn't worry about stuff like that. And it just, boy, you get older, you got your Pepsi laying on the nightstand, you got all, you got a glass of water you got to have so you don't choke to death, you got your all kind of stuff on the nightstand, you got to get everything ready, you know, because sleep is an endeavor. You got to, you know. Anyway, it's, it's wild. Um, go back to preaching, Dale. Okay, here we go. But we don't want to go in the wilderness. We don't want to go there. We don't want to, because the silence, you know, some. Uh, silence, somebody said, is, is like getting locked in a room 
with your harshest critic, which is yourself. So we don't like silence. And uh, I would like to tell you, but silence is so beneficial to you spiritually. It really is. And, and, and so Jesus, the Spirit, drove him there. But I would like to tell you that when you go to the wilderness, to the silence, to be alone with God, so to speak, in that way, that good things are going to be pop up first. But that's not what Scripture says. It says when he went to the wilderness, he said the wild beasts met him there. So what are, what are the wild beasts symbolic of? Well, that, that, that's, that, that's the things that, that you don't want to deal with, don't want to think about. That's those hurts from the past or unresolved hurts or unhealed hurts or the conflicts that you've had with family or neighbors or friends or coworkers. It's broken relationships. It's, it's all that stuff that you don't want to deal with. And that's why the noise kind of helps you not, not deal with the silence. Because in the silence, if you get really quiet, you'll confront the wild beast. They're in the wilderness, your wilderness. This thing where you hear people say, and it's a very common saying, they'll say, man, I've been dealing with my demons. How many sort of people say it? And they, they personify and personalize demons. And I think that is very accurate. Because most of the demons that people deal with are demons of their own creation. They're not from some devil on a course and have been dispatched to them. They're their own making. They've created them by their own belief and their own systems of thinking and acting and living. And, uh, and I'm not saying it's not real demons. I'm, you don't, don't, don't care me where I'm not going, but that's people create their own demons. But, it, it, you know, human nature, don't, don't, we, don't, we don't like that silence. And uh, I remember reading about this guy, uh, and boy, I had in my younger years really bad, and I'm still capable of it today, battling depression. How many of you ever battled depression? How many of you got mad at yourself because you were battling depression and you couldn't really put your finger on why? You just knew you felt depressed. And you would try to think about what's got me feeling this so bad. And you really couldn't think about what it was. It, but you just knew you were dealing with it. Like a cloud moved in. Like a, and, and, and man, I have, I've, you know, I've, I, in, in, in my past, I have really, really dealt with it severely in my early in my 20s. And I remember reading about this guy. He was 29 years old. And he, uh, he, um, he said that he, you know, he, he just got to the point. He, he was constantly thinking about suicide. He was constantly thinking about just being annihilated. I, I don't want to live no more. What's the purpose in this life? What's the purpose in the world? It don't make no sense. And, and, and he said he would often say this statement uh, to himself. And he did in that moment. He said, I cannot live with myself any longer. This is what he said. I cannot live with myself any longer. He was 29 years old when he said that. And then, and then he thought, he said, am I one or am I two people? If I cannot live with myself, then there must be two of me. The one, the I that, that is me and the self that I can't live with. That's two of me. And maybe only one of those is real. That statement really hit me because that lines up with what I've tried to teach you about your true self and your false self. 
Your true self is what you are without your job title, without your car, without your house, without your money, without your position. That's what the, the true self is nothing you have to do to attain. Get it. It's the way God's made you. That's your true self. And when you leave this planet and you leave and you go into to his presence, that's all you're carrying with you is your true self. And anything else that you carry with you that is not your true self is going to be wood, hay, and stubble, and it shall be burned by the refiner's fire. As you're purified as silver and gold, and you come back to the reality of just your true self. But there's a false self, and most of us in this world live and aggressively work hard to, to sustain that false self. We want, to, we, want our, we want everybody to believe that that's the way, you know, that we, you know, it's almost, I don't want to get into all that, but, but some of this stuff, man, I see on Facebook stuff, is just almost com comical. And because um, people will do these things, you know, and, 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 and I'll look at people and, and they'll put that as their profile picture. And that no more looks like them than a man in the moon. But they did this like real, real deal, you know. And, and bless their heart, that, you know, maybe somebody on the other end is going, man, I wish you looked like that. <laughs> I mean, that <I> don't. <laughs> You know, but that's, that's what, and that's what we put, and we want that to be, that's what, you know, we either say, and that's the way I wish I looked, that's the way I want to look, or that's the way I am. That's not the real you. And there's nothing wrong with helping yourself. I mean, I am not saying that. I'm just saying that's, that, it's in our culture. And, um, but, but, you know, I've, I've been teaching a series of what you are. And, and man, I could give you a long list and, and probably have you on your feet shouting if I said them right. But that's not my aim today. But but what 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 you are, things that are what what are some things that are? Well, you, one of the things is one of the wonderful things that are that is is you are you are chosen by God. You were chosen by God. Why you said that? Well, because you are chosen, and I mean every one of you. People listen to me. People ain't never spelled church. Can't go. You're chosen by God. When were you chosen? This makes it super interesting. Ephesians 1 says, Paul said, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen by God. That makes it, that's mind-blowing. I can't even, you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world, before he made earth. Before he said, let earth be, God had already chosen you. And he couldn't chose what wasn't there. <laughs> That gives them to think about day while it's raining. And, and then Paul goes on in another epistle and he says, you, You're chosen in the beloved. Another thing that are is you are loved. And you are loved by the only begotten who is the beloved. But then now the scripture refers to you and me over and over as the beloved. And the epistles are addressed, these letters are addressed to the beloved. And John calls you the beloved, and Peter calls you the beloved, and Paul calls you the beloved, because that's what God calls you. So why don't you just stand still and be loved? It's hard for you to accept that you're loved, because you don't love yourself. But God loves you. God loves you. You're, you're the beloved. You're chosen by Him. And, and, and then it says this, that you're accepted by God, and it says you are accepted in the beloved, by grace. And I could give you a reverse, but it takes, but you are accepted. Why is God accepted? You mean God accepts me just like I am? Yes. 
you put up a sign and say, Grace Point Church, we accept everybody, you know the only people who going to get mad at that is other church folk. And the more religious they are, the more that's going to rub them the wrong way. But that's what the Bible says. God says, I have accepted all of you. The grace of God for salvation has appeared to all men. I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should change their way they think, come to repentance. That's what God is an inclusive God. God is an accepting God, and it says that we are accepted in the beloved, who is Jesus, by grace. You're not accepted by performance. You're not accepted by, you know, God didn't say, well, they started going to church, now I will accept them. God chose you before the foundation of the world. Another thing they are, you are forgiven. God's don't, God's don't, God don't keep a record. See, here we are, by the Bible, told to forgive everybody, right? Right or wrong, are we supposed to forgive people? Even if they don't ask us to, that we're supposed to forgive them from our heart. Is that scripture? Is that what we're supposed to do? Yet we say we got a God that don't do that. And here comes the silence. Now, so we have a God that says, do like I say, do not like I do. We have a God that tells you to forgive everybody, no matter what they did, whether they ask it or not. But we have a God, I don't, some, some, some of y'all do, have a God that says, I will forgive you if you repent. So that means he's got a record of your sin and what you've done and it's not under the blood, as they say, in the old church, Pentecost church where I was raised in. You know, you ain't put it under the blood yet. You couldn't put it under blood or a rug or anything else. I remember I was raised in church. Young boy, they said, brother, you just need to put that under the blood. Well, that makes me the Savior then. Why well, I need Jesus, I can save myself. I'll just put it under the blood. It's ridiculous. So... We, we got a God that says, I can forgive you, I will forgive you. It's possible to, for you to receive forgiveness, but you got to ask me something first because I've got my arms folded and I ain't saying nothing to you, say something. And so my, my forgiveness to you is not unconditional, it's conditional. So God tells us to forgive everybody, yet he himself don't do it. God says love keeps no record of wrong, yet he keeps record of wrong. You see how schizophrenic that is? And people go to church every Sunday, and that's the God they worship to, pray to, and believe in. And I told you when it comes to that God, who is, which, by the way, was the God I was introduced to, I am now a practicing atheist concerning that God. I do not believe in him because he don't exist. My God, over and over, in the letters that Paul wrote, says he keeps, he, he says this new covenant, he says, and I will remember their sins no more. God's got no record of it. You sin, you can make some real stupid decisions. And like I told you, you can go down there and rob the bank and you're going to go to jail, but don't. God didn't have nothing to do with that. That's all you, baby. That's all you. Don't get in the jail and come out, Lord sent me here trying to you know, get my attention. No, you went there because of this. You just went there because you made really poor choice. I know it looks easy. That's the way you, you know, you get a whole lot of money real quick, but you know, watch TV. It don't work out. They usually catch you. Okay. Um, the, the natural mind, I told you this before one time many months ago, or I don't remember when I told you, but it is a study that Rick Hansen is his name. 
and, and these neuroscientists, they've proven uh, by all the tests that they do, but, and, and what they call it is the Teflon and the Velcro effect. And you can Google that some other time, and you, I mean, you'll get a lot of information on that. But what, what it is is referring to our brain's uh, negative bias. And so our brains are hardwired to remember negative experiences, and we quickly forget positive ones. Now, you think about it, you know, if you lived in the, I mean, it can be life-saving thing. And I believe that's why it's built into us. In other words, if you're a caveman and you go out and the tiger slaps, you know, swipes you with his claws, you're going to remember that that was negative, and you're not going to get around a tiger no more, and that, therefore that's going to save your life. You got me? So that's a good thing. But what's happening now with us is that, 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 that negative Velcro, our brain's like Velcro, it attaches to negative things, then what it does in us is creates irritability, anxiety, stress, sadness, depression. And we hang on to that negative because, and they've proved, these neuroscientists said, it takes at least five positive interactions to combat one single negative interaction. And our brains are, you know, and they said that when it comes to positive things, our brains are like Teflon, it just slides right off. And when it comes to, to negative things, our, it's like Velcro. It grabs hold and hangs on and remembers. And I see that in my own life, you know. And, and I see that in a lot. You know, first time I ever flew and I had a bad experience in that flight. Then from there on, I can't, I can't step on board a plane without replaying that bad experience. And it, it, and it doesn't matter that I've had 10 experiences between the bad one and all that were all good, but my brain automatically goes back to that one. You don't want to watch, you know, a crash movie the night before you have to fly somewhere. It's not going to make, you know, you have less anxiety. Yeah, you know, flying, Brother Dale, is safer than the car. Yeah, but my car quits, I can just step out on the side of the road and call somebody. That's my answer to that one. <laughs> there ain't no pullover step out the side of the road at 30,000 feet. <laughs> and um, anyway... And they, they said that 98% of our thoughts normally, day to day, are repetitive and they're useless. Now, you may not like that, but 98% of what we think about, without thinking about what we're thinking about, is useless. And, and we don't like that because, see, and you don't like that either, but I'm telling you, if you're going to get in the wildness, in the silence, be drove there by the Spirit, you've got to face the wild beast. Now, I do want to tell you that after Jesus faced the wild beast, it says this is a real good positive thing. It says then the angels came and ministered to him. So God's going to minister to you there, but the first thing that's going to pop to the surface is when you get silent before the Lord, it's going to be those thoughts are going to come that you ain't thought about in a long time. And it's going to reveal that you still got some hurts, you still got some things, and you got to deal with those things in his grace. Well, now somebody, I doubt, because y'all are so sweet here. Y'all really are. <clears throat> but there could possibly be one person, may, I, I, you know, maybe two, that you've been sitting there this whole time and you're judging me. And you're judging me, and there's a lot of good reasons for you to judge me. Now, some of you might be judging me because, you know, you don't like my goatee or whatever. Or you think, well, hey, he's getting great. Or whatever, whatever the reason. I don't like the way he talks, or, I don't call it like he because he won't stand behind a pulpit and he walks, you know, he moves around too much. Or I, I don't, I don't like the way he does this or does that or, or, you know. And so you, you got a lot. You can come up. I can help you come up with a lot of reasons to judge me, 
And you could be sitting there, you know, uh, is he conservative or is he liberal? Is he, is he Pentecostal? He's not Pentecostal enough for me. I, I just say that. Or he's too Pentecostal. Or he's not, you know, what, what is he? Is he, is, is he a universalist? Is he a, what is he? And, and so you're judging me. And, and that's okay. And that's fine. You know. But now I want to say something to you. And this is, this is the truth. What, what, the, how you do anything, listen to me, is how you do everything. I want to say it again. How you do anything is how you do everything. And that may sound like gibberish, but I want to tell you that is a known, that, 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 that's how you do life. In other words, uh, that's how you do it. So in other words, what you just did, if you were doing that to me, since I've been up here speaking, then, then I would say to you that I, I'm just about 100% sure you also do that to your spouse. You do it to your children. You do it to everybody around you. Because that's how you do what you do. It's not that you just arbitrarily pick me out to judge me and to, and to you know, go through all that. Your process of... That's why over and over there's, there's scriptures that say Jesus told us over and over... Do not judge. Don't judge anybody. Do not judge. Jesus said don't do it. But we do it. Well, Brother Dale, now we're smart people. We have to make judgmental decisions. We have to evaluate. And That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, 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 that's how you do life and, 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 the, and the problems that creates because it creates. In other words, you start from a point of defense. When somebody walks up that you don't know, you've never seen before, we normally got up the force field stronger than the Star Trek Enterprise ever put up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we got the force field up. And, and listen, and we, we all begin, if we're not careful, I'm talking about wrong thinking, we begin with a no. And you got to turn my no into a yes. Because you walked up, I don't know you, so I already got up a no. Whatever you're coming for, No. And I want to say to you, they've proven it is very hard, sometimes impossible, to turn a no into a yes. To turn a no into a yes. Because now we've got to overcome an obstacle. And I'm telling you, these are obstacles that, 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 that cause us uh, uh, problems in, in how we think. Now, G Jesus, his approach was totally, totally different. I want to tell you out in that 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, he's not out there watching Netflix. He's not looking at Facebook. He's not on Instagram. He's, he's in the silence. And nobody's out there with him. But the wild beast, and at some point the angels come and minister to him. Now, you know when they used to tell you to say silent prayers, like we're going to pray silently? That's something we should have learned, but we didn't. One thing we should have never been told was to say your prayers. When my kids were real little, I would say, all right, now, y'all say your prayers. And I was doing the best I could. But I wish I'd have taught my children just to pray, but not say their prayers. Jesus said, don't do vain repetitions. Don't babble on like the heathen do. They think they're going to be heard by much speaking. I, I'm not into that. And in fact, it's a, it's a hint to me in Scripture that the, Jesus' the disciples said, teach us to pray like John's disciples taught him. In other words, we want, a, we want a mantra. We want a prayer. But Jesus really didn't have one. Jesus would go up on the mountain and be alone. 
and not say a word. Paul described it like a prayer that can't be uttered with words, where the Spirit just makes groanings that cannot be uttered, cannot be spoken. That's praying. It's a different kind of prayer. Some people call it contemplative prayer, where you just sit in silence before the Lord. And you don't say anything, and you don't come with an agenda, and you're just there. And you just sit in that silence. And now when you sit there, I'm going to tell you, then wild beasts are going to pop up. But if you'll sit there long enough, the angels are going to come too. And they're going to deal with them wild beasts for you. Because it's the Lord. I remember in my theological training, getting my bachelor's degree, one of the classes that I took was in Hebrew. And if you know the Hebrew language, which is the language, primary language of the Jewish people in Israel, but Hebrew does not have vowels, just consonants. Um, I was amazed uh, that Demisha chose the songs she did. I, I, I don't, but the, the first song y'all sung was confirmation, at least to me, that what I'm about to do was so right on. Because y'all, the first, it was Yahweh. Can you, can, is it possible, Karen, to throw that song up there? Or is that going to really mess up everything? You, man, you are, give her a raise. <laughs> so when y'all started, this is the first thing I saw this morning, knowing what I'm fixing to do now. But Yahweh. Now, that, that's, when, when Moses got brave enough to ask God, what is your name? God replied, Yahweh. Yahweh. He said, who, 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 who did I tell them sent me? When, you, when I go to tell your people that, 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 that I've been sent to, you know, to lead them out, who, who do I tell them that sent me? He said, you tell them Yahweh. But think of this now. You, you know what consonants and vowels are. I'm not insulting you. <clears throat> but th- those, two letter, those two words up there, that's not Hebrew. That's English with consonants put in because we like consonants. I mean, I mean, vowels put in between the consonants. So what it really is, is Y-H, that's one word, or not a word, but that's part of it, and then it's W-H without the E. That's how Hebrew is written. An Orthodox Jew, even if they're going to write English, if they were writing that name, it would have Y-H-W-H. They will not fill in the consonants. I mean the vowels amongst the consonants. In Hebrew, there are no vowels. There's no A-E-I-O-U. And there's no sometimes W, sometimes Y. None of that. You don't think I knew that. None of that. It's consonants. Now, with a consonant, you can't, the consonant is, and people that, that study language, in other words, but with a consonant, you, you do not use your tongue nor open and close your mouth to, to enunciate uh, consonants. Only the, the, the vowels are what do that. And we like doing that because it makes us more comfortable. And, and so, so this is what I want you to get. <clears throat> so if you, and, and in Hebrew this is known, and what I'm fixing to tell you is just, it's all over. I mean, if you Google this, you, you could have a fun day. So this is not some abstract something Brother Dale's pulled a rabbit out the hat trying to entertain you. 
But I've never done this like this, what I'm supposed to do. So if you pronounce the sacred name. Now the Jewish people, as, a, as an Orthodox Jewish people as a whole, will not pronounce the sacred name. Now they say us American Christians in particular, but Christians in general, have always misunderstood the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the Lord's thy God's name in vain. We, this song that y'all put up sung about that. And he said, you, have, you, you Christians have never understood that commandment. And he said, what it says is thou shalt not take, that, that word take there is utter, not like take, but it, you, you shall not utter the name of the Lord thy God in emptiness, vain, emptiness. And the Jewish people, still today, will not say that name. They call it the sacred name. They won't pronounce it. They're not allowed to. They won't say Yahweh. They, they won't pronounce it. Because, and this is the reason, because he said, I've heard Jewish people say, because if the fact that we, would, we were commanded not to pronounce the sacred name gave us a cosmic humility that we would never be arrogant and think that we had God in our pocket. Because once you think you've got God in your pocket, that He's your God, but He's not their God, then you become hateful, violent, arrogant, religious people. It is the epitome of arrogance to, for any human to think that, that you have understand and you have appropriated God to you. And He's your God. My God is the true and living God. But your God is the false God. That makes me smarter and better than you, and I'm right and you're wrong, and I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. And that's, buddy, that's your religion. And that's what we got flooding social media. And no wonder chairs are empty. No wonder. How arrogant for one human uh, or a group of humans to think that they, they got God. That he's my God. And not their God. My God. And your understanding of God. See, I'll tell you what religion does. Religion loves their explanation of who God is, but they don't love God. They love their explanation of who God is. Their understanding of who God is. God will not fit in your box, in your denomination, in your head, in your church, in your religion. Too big, too great, too awesome. And I don't mean that mean. I don't mean that to offend. I'm just saying, come on, man, knock it off. And that's why the Jewish people. But let me tell you this. I got to end with this. There he is. He's moving around again. Okay, here we go. I'm going to pronounce without the vowels the name Yahweh. This is what it's always meant to be.
Inhalation, exhalation. The first name, first word you ever said when they pulled you from your mother's womb. The last name and prayer you will ever pray before you leave the planet. God put his name in your breath. Every time you inhale and exhale, you're saying, Yah. You get really stressed and anxiety. Take what they say, take deep breaths. You get filled with so much joy that you feel like your lungs were burst. There's not a Catholic way of breathing. There's not a Protestant way of breathing. There's not a black way or a white way of breathing. There's not a Baptist way of breathing. There's not a Pentecostal way of breathing. There's not a Muslim way of breathing. There's not, a, there's not a, a, an American way of breathing. There's not a Russian way of breathing. There's not a Chinese way of breathing. All of us. The gift of God is universal to every human. And every human has always breathed the name Yahweh. That's what it is. The gift has been given. The problem is we haven't received it. And people don't even know that their very breath is speaking the name of God. Well, I hope they said a prayer before they breathed their last. They did. The last thing they said was, I watched my granddaddy. Mouth was gapped open. In the paramedic medical world, sometimes right or wrong, but we call that, we don't mean this wrong, you know, anyway. We, we, we can just recognize, we call it the positive O sign. A person got their mouth gapped open, there's no more movement. I remember sitting with my granddaddy, who was my superhero. And I was 13 uh, years old. And I was listening, I wish I'd have known this then. And he was struggling with every breath. He was taking such deep breath. And I didn't know he was saying Yahweh. I was in there where an old preacher that traveled my granddaddy, he was standing in the room. My daddy was there. 
My uncle was there. My aunt was there. My mima was there. We was all in the ADL hospital. I wish I'd have known my granddaddy was laying there saying, And I remember that preacher from Cecil, intuitive, whatever, but this is what he said. He said, family, the Lord is coming with his angels now. When he said that, even though I was 13, every hair on my body stood at attention. Chill bumps, goose bumps, whatever you want to call it. And my granddaddy, one more time. <sighs> and he was gone. We cried. We hugged. It broke our heart. I wish somebody would have told me then what I just shared with you now. If you ever think God is not around, just breathe. Just breathe. Every breath, you're saying Yahweh. Every time you get anxious and you're breathing louder and harder, you're saying Yahweh. Every time you're having lung problems and you're sick and you can't breathe like you want to, you're saying Yahweh. And you said it when you come out of your mother's womb and before you leave the planet, you'll say it one more time. And the next time you say it, you'll be looking at him. <laughs> come on, stand with me. Now listen to me. It's 12.02. Let's do something real quick. And I hate to have to even say it that way. I hope this week you'll find some time to put away your watch. And to put down your iPhone or your Android, whatever you got. And switch it off, by the way, so it don't worry you. Come home and don't turn on the TV or the radio. And go to a place that you can be comfortable. Sit, kneel, lay down, get in a lounge chair. God don't care your posture, but be silent. In Psalms, there is this verse that says these words, Be still and know that I am God. I want to do an exercise with you. Would you please just put it? You don't have to, and I still love you, okay? But just to help it maybe be easier, close your eyes. I hardly ever ask you to do anything like this. And I want to... I want you to at least be, be silent for one minute. But before we do, we're going to pray a prayer. I want you to repeat after me. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still. Now look at me. That was only 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Imagine 10 minutes of that. Five minutes. It doesn't matter of time, but just don't be afraid of the silence. And when you get silent, 
if the wild beasts show up, that just means that's identifying what's getting healed in you. If those old hurts surface, those thoughts come up, it's okay. Because right behind that, the angels of the Lord are coming to minister to you. Don't be afraid of the wilderness. And let the Spirit drive you there, if He must. Because He loves you. And when you're there, and you're quiet, and there's no distractions, you don't have to say a word, and I would encourage you not to say, this is contemplative prayer, sitting before Yahweh. But every breath you breathe in that silence, you will now forever hear His name. You will never hear breathing the same way. For every breath is from Him, and it is a gift to you. And it is a reminder who put it in your lungs. For Adam was just lying on the ground, flesh and blood, and the Lord himself, Yahweh, put his mouth upon his nostrils and breathed into him the breath of life. Ruach. And from that moment, man hooked in And the first thing Adam ever said was Yahweh. The first person he ever saw was Yahweh. God intrinsically, always, eternally loves what he created, which is you. He is in you. This was the amazing miracle Paul said in Galatians. He revealed Christ in me. Not to me. How is Christ in you? You're telling me he's not in you? Every breath you breathe. When you get anxious and you're breathing fast, you're just saying Yahweh fast. Yahweh. Moses, tell them Yahweh sent you. I hope you got something out of this today. Amen. If you did, give God praise. Now, to, this service today may be a real good launching point for my questions Wednesday night. And that's okay. Bring them. And we'll talk about it. Please come. Uh, I might even whip up my special chili. How about it, Jill? Ain't my chili good? It's pretty good. And... uh so we, I look forward to seeing y'all Wednesday night, okay? Hey, I'll be down front if you need prayer. I want to talk. I'm here. Love you guys. God bless you.